All right. Thank you all so much for that. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, Matt, Matt already introduced me here. My name is Cody. Uh, I'm super stoked to get to be here with you all and kicking off a new series, which I'm excited about, and the graphic for is super cool. Props to David for designing that. It's sweet. Um, I'm just going to jump right in uh, because I have uh, a good amount of stuff to go over, and I'm not known for being brief in my talks, and so fair warning to y'all right now. Uh, so uh, I'm going to be upfront with you. Uh, I've, been a, I've been a Christian uh, follower of Christ for about 13 years now, and for the majority of that time, I've uh, mostly ignored the Old Testament of the Bible, uh, which if you're not sure what part that is, it's all of the parts before Jesus comes. And once Jesus comes, that starts the New Testament of the Bible, which is how they divide it up. Uh, it's about two-thirds or so of the Bible, the first <laughs> the first chunk. And I would listen to like maybe the really big stories, like some real prominent figures. And then <laughs> I ignored most of the rest of it um, for a variety of reasons. I found it to be difficult to read. Uh, it was very confusing. And it actually it really messed with my mind a bit in some places because it felt to me like the God of the Old Testament didn't line up with what uh, like I read in the New Testament or even like saw in the life of Jesus. And so I was like, oh, this is confusing. I don't want all the way like get it. I, it uh, yeah, it kind of like would, would mess with my faith a bit when I, tried, when I tried to handle that. And I was too embarrassed to ask anybody questions. So that was a stupid mistake. Don't make my mistake there. Just ask people questions because there are answers. Um, but so, yeah, I didn't, I, I'm, for the most of the part, I, I left it alone. I would kind of read it sometimes just so I didn't feel bad about it, but I wouldn't really pay that close of attention. Um, I want to open up that because if you are here tonight and you have before currently struggled with anything like that and trying to read the Old Testament, uh, I want to encourage you that there, uh, is a lot there to learn about God and, uh, what, uh, Hebrews 13, 8 says, uh, is very true, is that God is absolutely the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that includes in the Old Testament. Um, it just takes a little bit more uh, biblical knowledge and history and things like that to understand what's happening there. And so uh, I'm really excited. I want uh, to open up the series because the series uh, at Challenge is all going to be based off of passages in the Old Testament. So hopefully you'll be able to keep coming on these Tuesday nights and learning more and more uh, and just growing in your knowledge of who God is, which is vitally important for how we live our lives. Now, the specific passage I'm going to be speaking about tonight is in Genesis, and it is wild. Okay, it is a wild. It's a whole two verses long, what I'm talking about, and it is... Uh, it is an intense two verses. Uh, and I, I personally learned a lot from it and was encouraged by the consistency of God's character that I found in studying this passage and uh, who God is just throughout the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, the whole way through, and how much of that is uh, present in these couple of verses uh, that I'm going to be going over. So, uh, and in particular, in how he relates to us. That was one of the things that really struck me is uh, the two verses we're going over tonight um, have a lot to say and, and are an incredible example of how God relates to us still today. So uh, I'm going to pray before I get started. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity that you've given us to, to come here tonight and to look at your word, God, and, and to look to you and try to learn more about who you are. God, I ask you'd please help uh, our whole lives, God, every different area, every different facet of our lives to just be transformed by who you are and knowing you more. 
uh, and growing closer to you. I ask that you would use tonight in all of our, in all of our lives in that way, that we come away from tonight just um, understanding who you are better and more accurately, and that we would allow ourselves to be really transformed uh, by that. I praise things in Christ's name. Amen. So here are the two verses that I'm talking about. And, uh, oh, a disclaimer. So it's, um, it's about Abraham. But at this point uh, in the Bible, his name is still Abram. It gets changed later on. So the verse will say Abram. I'm just going to say Abraham because if I try to switch back and forth, I'm going to get super confused. So fair warning, if you're reading Abram and then I'm talking about Abraham later, same person. So the verses are this, Genesis 15, 17, and 18. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I gave this land from the river of Egypt, the great river, the river Euphrates. So now y'all can just leave and be completely transformed, right? Like you're done, you're good. You get it, you're walking out that door, a new person. Like, no, there's more to it, right? You can't just read this and be like, okay, yeah, like be nice to my neighbors or something like that, which a lot of the Bible has really straightforward passages like that that are that immediately applicable. But this one, you've got to dig into it a bit more to understand what's going on here. So that's what we're doing tonight. So I've read this quite a few times uh, and uh, before now, like not in studying for Diet. In the past, I've read this quite a few times because whenever you try to read the Bible, you start at Genesis, right? (laughs) At the very beginning, and then you make it like, in maybe a book or two into the Old Testament, and then you're like, I do not, I'm not tracking, and you kind of peter out. If you've ever tried it like me, that's what happened to me. So I've read this quite a few times, and frankly, I was a, it was a passage that I would just gloss over because it's weird, right? Can we all agree? Like, that's weird. That's, that's weird. Like, I don't get it. Like, not, like, not that it's wrong, right? It's God's word, but I, I don't get it. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me when I read it. Uh, all right, and those pieces, to clarify, it's weirder than it even looks because those pieces are referring to a cow, a goat, and a ram that Abraham had cut in half. And he took the halves of these dead animal carcasses and laid half of it over here and half of it over there. So you got like half a cow here, half a cow there, half a goat here, half a goat here, half a ram here, half a ram here. And it's like the freakiest, bloodiest walking trail you've ever seen in your life. Okay, that's what it's, that's the picture that we're looking at here. All right, so it just got weirder for y'all, right? That's the, yeah, it did. Uh, it, it's a strange one. Um, man, there's got to be blood everywhere, right? It's not like he's in a butcher shop. Like, Abraham just cut these things in half. Like, he's got blood on him. It's like, it's a gruesome scene that's being, being portrayed. Uh, not only that, but it's like the presence of God is here speaking to him, which would be like really intense, I can imagine. There's like smoke and it's dark. So it's nighttime and there's fire like hopping along. I don't understand what that looked like. The, the torch passed, passed through. I picture it like bounding, but I don't know if that's accurate. It doesn't say that. Um, it's a confusing scene for sure. Um, but there's a lot here to unpack that is really, really important. Um, uh, this is the kind of stuff in the Old Testament, though, like I mentioned, that would trip me up because I'd be like, oh, that's weird, and i just, like, move on, right? Um, uh, and to a degree, though, this should be foreign to us. Like, it should feel foreign, right? This is literally thousands of years ago. 
from a land across the earth in a culture that is like unthing, unlike anything we've ever experienced. Right? It would be a little bit strange if, it, if everything in the Bible immediately connected with us having grown up in a, you know, a McDonald's-like society, right? Like we're consumers. Like we don't, we don't butcher our own animals like, that, like they literally had to do. Like it's just not the same. So we just have a very different life than the people back then were living, different part of the world, different culture. Um, yeah, it's a, it, it literally is foreign. So it, at parts of the Bible should be completely foreign to us if it is in fact accurate. Uh, so I'm gonna lay down a bit of a frame of context that's gonna be really pivotal for us to understand why in the world these are the two verses that I chose to talk about tonight. Somebody didn't give this to me, by the way. I actually volunteered to speak on these two verses. So, uh, yeah, so I'm going to give a little framework before we jump into uh, exactly why that is. So uh, we need to trace a couple key interactions between God and humanity um, leading up to this point in Genesis for us to get a full understanding um, of the bigger context. And I'm going to be brief for the sake of time. However, you don't have a lot of past biblical knowledge. Um, you'll just have to try to stick with me. If you have any big questions, just jot them down on, on your paper and then try to stick with me after that. Um, so God creates everything, right? Beginning, beginning of existence, God creates everything. He makes Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden in right relationship with God, which must have been incredible, uh, Adam and Eve uh, sin against God by way of a deceptive serpent, thus ending their right relationship with God and introducing death into the world. The almighty, all-powerful, perfect God who just created everything in existence uh, has his own creation rebel against him. Like, what do you think his next move would be? Just thinking this through and not really thinking about what I know the Bible says happens, I was like, he must like smite them. Like he's just gonna like flick them like an ant off your arm and like move on, right? Like, like you just created everything and then this part of your creation like rebels against you. You're like, all right, well, peace out with you and I'm, gonna move, I'm just gonna move on. But that is not what God does. It's not even close. It is shocking. It is shocking what happens next, Okay. Listen to this. Uh, in Genesis 3.15, God is talking to the serpent who just deceived Adam and Eve, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is uh, well, the very first uh, like arrow we have in the Bible that's pointing to the future coming of a Messiah. And there's more and more throughout the Old Testament that narrows this in more and more on Jesus Christ. Um, I didn't have the time to delve into all of that because I just had to pick like one topic to talk about, but that is what it's doing. Uh, and so what we see in this verse is God's immediate response to us rebelling against him is to launch the most grandiose rescue mission that has ever been concocted in, in history. His immediate response, we rebel against him and the next thing he does is puts into a place a plan to rescue us from our own sin. That's his response to our sin, which is insane. Like that is so wild that that is the character of God. So that's, a, that's one of those first key interactions we see here in the, in the very beginning of the Bible, in the Old Testament, where it's like, wow, that, that is obviously consistent with God's character. Like that, that is so clearly 
how God operates, and we see it throughout the whole Bible, um, and obviously see it in the person of Jesus Christ. Three chapters in, and God's already giving us pointers to Jesus that he's going to send us a Messiah to save us from ourselves. And this was in response to our rebellion. It's just crazy. So for the sake of time, we're going to jump from here to Abraham specifically, where God keeps on narrowing in on this promise for us on how he's going to ultimately rescue us from our own sin. Genesis 12, 2 and 3, uh, God's talking to Abraham, and he says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Again, there's quite a few of these, these promises that God gives to Abraham specifically uh, and to other people down in his little genealogy, in his downline, where we see it keeps on focusing in more and more um, throughout the Old Testament on the person of Jesus Christ. So God tells Abraham that he will have a literal physical legacy in fathering an entire nation, which we know that to be true because that's the nation of Israel. That's where the Israelites, which the whole rest of the Old Testament is about, they are the descendants of Abraham. So we know that ends up coming true. Um, but more distinctly, that somehow from his lineage, all people across the earth will be blessed. Uh, similar to Genesis 3.15. Um, like I said, this is another one of those pointers. It's like this arrow God is laying out throughout the Old Testament to the coming of a Messiah one day where he will bless people of all the earth through him. And God says right here, it's going to make it through, happen through Abraham's descendants. But it's very important for us to understand yeah, this promise from God to Abraham to bless all people of earth is really closely, it's directly tied to this promise to make him into a nation because later in chapter 15, which is where those verses we're actually talking about tonight, um, he's specifically talking about making him into a nation. But you can just know that these two promises are intertwined with each other. It's gonna make Abraham into a nation and through his, his downline, he's going to bless people of all the earth. So we're going to jump back to 15 and 17. Um, and right before this in the chapter, in chapter 15, uh, the context of the smoking pot and the flaming torch and the, and the dead animals, right? Uh, right before this, Abraham questions God. So it's like the context in which this is happening. Abraham is questioning God. And frankly, this part of the story makes a lot of sense to me. And this is the part that makes the most like uh, inherent sense to me when I was reading it through like, the first time for tonight, because uh, God had promised this to him a while back. It was about 10 plus years before this point when God tells him he's going to make him into a nation. And at this point in chapter 15, Abraham has no kids and no land. Like think of what it takes to have like uh, a country. You need people and property. <laughs> What's, he's got neither. So it's been like 10 years after God promised him this, and he doesn't have either of the two main ingredients he needs to, to father a nation. And so Abraham's like, uh, God, like, can you like start the ball rolling on one of these? Like he literally brings up both of these things at the beginning of chapter 15. He's like, I got no, like you said, I'm gonna, you're making me into a nation. I got no land. And you say you're gonna make me into a nation. I have no kids. Like how is this gonna work out? And uh, like I said, this I relate to this a lot. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me that that's his response. But here again, we get this insanely beautiful picture of how God responds to us. Because even in this moment of Abraham's doubting, what we see here in these verses, uh, 17 and 18, is God's response to his doubt. 
God's response to his struggles to continue trusting him is to make a covenant with him. This is what, and this is what we're reading about in these two verses. Abraham's struggling, he's doubting, and in response, God makes a covenant with Abraham. This is mind-blowing because a covenant is an oath-bound relationship between two or more parties. Think of like the covenant of a marriage relationship. So in a marriage, you can't just like break it off without, there's literal legal ramifications if you break off a marriage that aren't there if you break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. So you see how that's a relationship that have these actual like uh, responsibility ties that have real ramifications if you break them. So that's an example of, of a covenant. Uh, this covenant we're talking about, though, is a little bit more intense, though. Uh, it is a blood-bound covenant. And then that's, that's the idea that we see here uh, in verses 17 and 18. It's a promise with consequences tied to it. Uh, and the idea is that neither party could be unfaithful to this relationship until death. So neither party can get out of it until one of them dies. And I want to get into this a little bit because this is specifically why this scene is so gnarly. The specific practice with the cut-up animals uh, is present elsewhere in the Old Testament, which leads us to believe that it was some um, uh, sort of common practice. It was a common, uh, not really common, obviously, but for really, really uh, extreme covenants to be made, this is, this is what they would do sometimes. And so it wasn't just out of the blue that this happened. And uh, the reason why they did it, there was a reason to it. It was this intense and complicated graphic to drive home how serious the covenant was. So as much as like the idea and trying to picture it makes you uncomfortable, that means it's actually doing its job. It wasn't supposed to be comfortable. It's actually supposed to create that like gritty, like, ooh, this is like weird and gross and intense. That was intentional. It's actually, the covenant was doing its job if that's how this passage makes you feel. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have been there? It would have been very intense and intentionally so. The idea of walking through this bloody path formed by animal carcasses was saying that this is what happens to me if I do not stand by this covenant. So you walking through this death-laden path that you made was saying this fate should come upon me should I break off this covenant. Do you feel the weight of that? Like that's serious stuff, right? I do not suggest doing this in replacement of pinky promises with your friends now. Please, please do not do that. Um, but it's like, it's really extreme, intentionally so. And so when I learned this and I was studying it, it made so much more sense to me. I was like, oh, so it was actually supposed to be that intense. It was supposed to be like kind of gross in a way. And have you picked up something very interesting about this passage and this is, there's one detail about these verses, which is why I chose them to talk about tonight. And this is huge detail. It's, it's like, it cannot be overstated how extreme this is. And I've been anxiously awaiting, pointing it out to you. And it's who walked down the path. It was God. Abraham didn't walk through the animals. God walked through the animals. So remember what I said, the person who walks 
down that path that they, that was made is saying, I'm putting my blood on the line for this covenant. And God's the one who did that for Abraham. That is wild. This is in response to Abraham's doubt. Abraham is doubting and God says, like, I'm putting my blood on the line. Like, I'm, th- I'm this serious about, about what I told you is going to happen. The same mighty God who created all of existence, the same one who, when we turn our backs on him, initiated the most complicated and beautiful rescue mission that's ever been dreamed of. The same God that Abraham had just got done questioning responds by making a covenant with Abraham. Like That is insane. Like that is crazy. That is the picture of how God chooses to relate to us. God does not relate to us based off of our merits, right? Like if if you know like what the New Testament says at all, it says over and over, like it is by grace you have been saved. This is an example in the Old Testament of God's grace. It's a beautiful example in the Old Testament of God's grace. Because he's saying, God is saying, I will fulfill this. Like on my own, for my own sake, I will fulfill this. Not based off of what you will do. And we know something that Abraham doesn't. And we know that God actually put his blood on the line in Jesus Christ. He actually did it. Jesus died and bled in the fulfillment of God's great rescue mission for us to save us from ourselves. God, God, God followed through on the covenant he made with Abraham. And it's, I, feel, I feel almost disappointed that I've read over this, these verses so many times and I didn't grasp the weight and the beauty and the significance of them before. And I'm so excited that I do now. I do now understand how serious they are and how awesome of a picture it is of God's character and how consistent that is with the character of Jesus that I see in in the New Testament and and the writings of the New Testament. It's over and over I see this this picture and portrayal of God's character of loving and gracious and, and choosing to love me, choosing to love you, choosing to love humanity, even when we rebel against him. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So do you see how this passage in the Old Testament is so so closely aligned with what is probably the most popular verse of the entire Bible, John 3, 16? Like, obviously, that's easier to read than, uh, you know, the, the flaming the flaming torch and the smoking fire pot, but, but it's the same God. And, and it's, this, it's the same message, actually, that we see over and over throughout the Bible as this incredible message of God's, God's character and, um, and his desire to save us from, from our own sins. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he was the same when he made Adam and Eve. 
He was the same uh, when he made a covenant with Abraham. He was the same when he made the ultimate sacrifice for you on the cross. He was the same when he made you in your mother's womb. He is the same today. He will be the same tomorrow, regardless of the circumstances that you face or the feelings that you feel. God is the same. So what do we do with that knowledge of God? What can you walk away from tonight with uh, to actually apply to your life? How does this impact the way you live? Galatians 3.29 says, And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. It's a super fascinating verse to me after doing all this studying. I was like, wow, that's, that has a lot more impact now that I, that I know these other things about the promises that God had, had made to Abraham. So the first thing uh, um, that I want to mention is that if you do not belong to Christ, right, it's the first part of this um, has like a, what's the word I'm thinking about? Like a clause there, right? There, there's like a, a presupposition that you belong to Christ. So if you do not belong to Christ, that would be your next step that you need to take. You need to put your, place your faith in him, which just means to trust him, to trust Christ as your savior, savior and as the fulfillment of God's, God's great, great, great rescue mission that he had laid out right from the start of the Bible. And if you do belong to Christ, then you are an heir of God's promise to Abraham. I'm gonna highlight uh, in closing a crucial element of that promise that God had made. And I touched on it earlier. It was, uh, there's, it's in the Genesis 12, 2, and 3. So it's on your hand out there. It says, so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God told Abraham there was a reason he was going to bless him. And so if you are in Christ, that means you're an heir of the promise of Abraham. So that means this applies to you. So God blessed Abraham so that he would be a blessing. And that in him, all the families of earth shall be blessed. God blesses your life so that you will be a blessing and that all the families on earth shall be blessed through you. So are you living your life right now as an heir of that promise? Maybe you didn't even realize that you were supposed to be before tonight. I'd encourage you to really think about that because that's what the Bible says. These aren't my words. These are in, this is the Bible here. All right, you are supposed to be living your life as an heir of that promise. God wants lost people all over the earth to experience the blessing of knowing Jesus Christ. And he wants to use you to make that happen. I wanna challenge you, and this is the fill in the blank on your hand out there. Pray for the nations and minister to your neighbors. It's like the biblical version of think globally, act locally. Pray for the nations and minister to your neighbors. How? How can you do that? I honestly was going to try to come up with like a bunch of different uh, like application points. And I did write out a few, but I want to say like the, the single most uh, uh, realistic way for you to actually make some progress and steps in this is by having somebody who's personally investing in you, like discipling you, um, uh, who actually knows you, knows where you're at, 
who can tell you and encourage you towards some next steps that you can take uh, in, uh, you know, in, in, in loving your neighbors and, and ministering to the nations. And so that's like a whole other talk, honestly. I would love to get into it, but I just don't have the time tonight. And so I'm going to tell you, it feels like a cop-out, but I'm going to tell you, like, if somebody is meeting with you and investing in you, ask them. They would have a lot better idea of what your next step might be than me. But I did actually feel like it was a cop-out. So I went ahead and wrote down a few ideas that you might fit into. So there you go. Uh, so the applications here, um, here are some different ideas. Uh, one of them I already mentioned. Um, one application could be um, that you need to surrender your life to Christ, trusting him to forgive you of your sins. Uh, and then I would encourage you to ask a leader from Challenge if they can meet with you. And, uh, and you can ask them about how you can grow closer to God. Uh, the next application idea would be to commit to coming to Challenge every week for the net, rest of the semester instead of only coming when it's convenient, which I know is what it actually means when people say they're going to come to something. It's uh, whenever somebody says, oh, I'll definitely be there, I hear unless I get a better opportunity, right? And so just don't do that. Just commit to actually coming because you're going to learn a lot of really awesome stuff about God and about the Bible if you keep coming to the rest of this series. Uh, the next idea is to start a plan to read through the entire Bible and then ask someone to hold you accountable to do it. I'd really encourage you, if you've never done that, to, try, uh, to do it. And I'd also encourage you, if you're going to ask somebody to hold you accountable, don't make their life miserable, Right? It's like, don't do it just so that you will have that weekly, like, guilt check of, like, oh, I'm still not doing it. Like, that sucks to be on the other end of that, you know? So don't do that. Like, ask someone to hold you accountable and then actually do it. Uh, it's, just, it's up to you. It's your, it's your choice on how you spend your time. Uh, the next one is write down uh, someone you know who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior and talk to a leader in challenge about uh, what your next steps should be uh, in introducing that person to Jesus. Like I said, this is so um, very specific to who you are and where you're at and, and who the people are in your life and relationships you have. So I'd really encourage you to seek some advice and counsel on how to best do that. Uh, and then the last one uh, I wrote down here is choose to grow your heart for the world and your confidence in telling others about Jesus by doing Chico Project this summer, which have you guys announced that yet? All right. Well, hey, I forgot to ask before tonight. Uh, Chico Project is something that is going to be happening this summer that the Chico staff will be planning for you. It's fantastic. It completely changed my life and changed the direction of my life and helped me. Uh, I, again, it's a whole other talk. I can't even tell you all the ways it helped me, but it helped me in amazing ways. I would encourage you have a bent towards going to Chico Project. It's two months long. You have a ton of fun. Learn a ton of stuff. It's fantastic. Um, so do that. If you don't know what it is, again, you can ask me or ask one of the other leaders after tonight. We can tell you more about it. But um, that's it. Those are the applications ideas that I did have off the top of my head. Like I said, those might not specifically um, match up with, uh, with what your application should be in embracing the fact that you are an heir of the promise uh, that God gave to Abraham. Uh, and so talk to somebody. If no one's investing in you right now, find somebody who's closer to God, a few steps ahead of you in their spiritual life, and ask them, if they would invest in you uh, and really change your life. He said, God wants to use you to impact the lives of others, and he wants to use others to impact your life as well. Uh, God chooses to work through us time and time again, we see in the Bible, over and over and over, and not dependent on our own abilities, right? Abraham, at this moment, is not the shining star in the story. He, he's anything but that, and that's the moment God made the covenant with him. 
And that just speaks volumes to how God chooses to relate with us, uh, really despite and sometimes in contrast to uh, the way we choose to live our life. So that one closes out with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you so much for just being who you are, God. Uh, you, you aren't uh, um, pulled to and fro by the, by the whims of society and culture. Uh, God, you are who you are yesterday, today, and forever. I thank you because that gives me hope and that gives me confidence in following you, God, that you're not gonna change your mind about me, God. You loved me just as much on my best say than my worst, God. Now, you can't love me more than you did when you died on the cross for me. Well, I was still a sinner, God. You died for me. I thank you for just the consistency of your character and, and uh, how many times in the Bible you display that and you've given us your word so, so that we can know you and uh, walk through our day with that confidence and that assurance that you are who you are. No matter how bad my day looks, God, you are still in control and I can still have hope because of you, uh, not because of my own abilities uh, or my circumstances. I praise things in Jesus' name, amen.